Welcome to the third season of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic science podcast where we explore the fascinating borderlands between science and theology through realms of philosophy, human experience, and more. Welcome back to That's So Second Millennium. Today we are very happy to bring you Dr. Aida Ramos, who is an associate professor at the University of Dallas. I go ahead and give her a full introduction when we get to the actual podcast. Today's topic brings us to the frontier between science and religion in the realm of economics and morality and our responsibilities for our fellow man and how we can live those out in the course of what we do every day to make sure that we have food, shelter, things to put on the table. This economics goes back to a Greek term meaning household management. So, yeah, so this is a great episode. Bill and I had a ton of fun. Um, Aida <laughs> is a very energetic speaker, so I think you're going to love this, and it's probably the first of two episodes. We'll need to split it, and we might even talk to her again. So, uh, yeah, so we're, we're very proud and happy to bring you Dr. Aida Ramos. Welcome to episode 114 of That's So Second Millennium. We are really, really pleased today to have on the podcast Aida Ramos. Uh, Aida is actually a friend of mine from my time at Notre Dame. She is in her PhD in economics from Notre Dame. She has taught previously at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy and at West Texas A&M. She's currently an associate professor of economics at the University of Dallas. Her research is in the history of economic thought and development. She's the author of Shifting Capital, Mercantilism and Economics of the Act of Union of 1707, which was published by Palgrave in 2018. Um, Aida, in the past, you've explained it to me that uh, you take bubble baths with dead Scotsmen. Is that is that one way of uh, summarizing some of your some of your research specialty there? Yeah, just for anyone else who might be listening, it's because I had read *The Wealth of Nations* and *The Principles of Political Economy* by Sir James Stewart in a relaxing setting. In a relaxing setting, so allowing it to really soak in. Yes. <laughs> So that is true, but I just needed to add some detail to that. Get some context. Yes, that is very valuable context. We would not want anyone to get. Uh, That's part of my research. Is always yeah. to provide the context to the situation. That is that's that's that's, that's one of the great points of yeah. That's that's good Catholic uh, or well, good Catholic. It's good good research uh, practice in general. So we're hoping to talk today um, about Catholic social teaching. Um, why the church has authority to speak on economic matters. So this is this is where we get to the juicy, you know, science and religion sort of where where are the frontiers? Because that's what this podcast is about, is exploring all those frontiers. Everything from, you know, physics and determinism and biology and whether we can believe the truths of the faith in that context, to faith and psychology, to faith and morality. I mean, there's a lot of moral aspects to economics. Um Hopefully, we get to talk about uh, a lot of uh, contemporary issues, um, a lot of the Pope's encyclicals, Laudato Si, Fratelli Tutti. Um, and well, then, can and I go even, ahead and just uh, answer that first question about, you know, why does the church feel it has authority to speak on economic issues? Sure, let's get started there. Okay, because I know that, like, um, every time a new encyclical comes out, and actually, first, for your audience, I don't know if they're, they might not be aware of what encyclicals are. These are official statements of church doctrine that um, have existed since... Since the yeah. church has, well, at least since the Middle Ages. But the ones that are specifically on the economy and social matters started, were not started, but they began 
they were published in 1891 with Rerum Novarum when Leo XIII felt uh, that he needed to address a lot of the social and economic issues that were new. Rerum Novarum, reflection on the new things. Um, And the new things that he felt needed to be discussed were what were happening to labor in relation to the owners of capital. Um, In a way, it was also a response to what was happening with different political movements across Europe, the rise of, um, you know, Marxist thought, the rise of different socialist movements. Although, as I always have to remind my students, socialism began in the 18th century. Marx wasn't the one who created it. But um, those movements were all an expression of um, a lot of conflict on the part of labor in relation to capital. So that... Rerum Novarum is the first uh, encyclical that purely addressed economic issues, but within the framework of Catholic doctrine. And it established its own doctrine about economic matters that relating to just wages, how laborers and how workers and employers should treat each other. Uh, it addressed different things about ownership and property, systems of economic organization, although uh, Quadragesimo Anno, which was published 40 years later, um, reflecting on Rerum Novarum and then addressing the new things of the time is the one that's really more about different systems of economic organization. And um, that, would, that would be Pius XI in the 30s, right? Yes, thank you. Because that I always forget that it's Pius XI. I have to pause. So thank you. Um, he also addresses fascism and, you know, the things of yeah. that day in the 1930s, the late 1920s that were occurring um, for the yeah. economy. It's always, it seems to me like Pius XI doesn't get as much credit as he sort of deserves. Like he, he sort really of stuck his neck out there. More. I think a reason why is because, um, as I, I warned my students ahead of time, because I do teach it in comparative economic systems, um, it's that that's the one encyclical that really upsets everybody. Because if right? you think that he's going to come out and yeah. fully yeah. support capitalism, he doesn't do that. If you think he's going to come out and fully support socialism, he doesn't do that. Yeah. Um, he does condemn communism. But, yeah. you know, he talks about the pros and cons of each. Absolutely, he condemns fascism. So um, yeah. that shouldn't upset anyone, but somehow it does. Right. <laughs> so that's, that. I, yeah. I think that's why. It's um, it's it's not as popular as, say, Centesimus Annus by Pope John Paul II, where, you know, he was writing in the aftermath of the Cold War. Yeah. and um, But he, too, was also critical of some aspects of Oops. capitalism and oh, yeah. critical mm-hmm. of socialism at the same time. Um, so, in, in general, Catholic social thought on the economy, you find it in the different encyclicals that have been published. Quadragesimo Anno was the one, the first one reflecting on the anniversary of Rerum Novarum. And so each successive pope has published an encyclical. You know, it just so happens, of course, that economic issues keep arising time and time Amazingly, again with yeah. every new pope we have. So every pope has published um, a succession of different encyclicals on the issues facing us today. You know, Pope Benedict, um, one of my favorite encyclicals is Caritas and Veritate, which I I hope to talk about more today, um, Mm -hmm. that is on economic development, but also on the global financial crisis. He was writing it um, in 2009 and 2010. um, pregnant time to write on the subject, yeah. Yeah, so so Pope Francis's encyclicals... um, when they came out were controversial. I remember the way they were addressed in the news was a little bit different. Uh, Laudato Si is mostly on the environment, but it's also on... Um, but all, all the things that we do to stress the environment we do for economic reasons. 
Right. But also how that's reflective of how we treat people. How we yeah. misuse our resources is also reflective of how we're excluding people, damaging our human uh, fraternity and damaging the environment. But um, at the time when it came out, this was when I started hearing more in the media this criticism of, uh, well, why does the church think it has any um, authority to talk about this? Stick to your religion, blah, blah, blah. Don't talk about economics. You know, and there were economists right. saying this too, which wasn't something that had happened in the past. Right. Uh, you know, Populorum Progressio, which came out in the 60s, Pope Paul VI, who also wrote Humanae Vitae, yeah. Yeah, that's on economic development. And yeah. it's something yeah. that influenced a lot of development economists who are like grown-ups today. They were in college at the time, whether yeah. they were Catholic or not. But no one, you know, then or really in the 80s did anyone say, why does Pope John Paul II, St. Yeah. Pope John Paul II think he should speak yeah. about... In 1991, um, how dare the Pope talk about economics? Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. really so, awful. Um, yeah. That was my long... I'm, I still haven't answered the question. So the answer is this. <laughs> from the church's perspective, that um, you know, our economic life isn't separate from the rest of our life. It's part of our human life. It's part of how we can attain human flourishing. So all economic choices are essentially moral choices since the church talks on moral issues. Yeah. Um, and, and all things to do with just our human existence, how we relate to others, all of the, every part of our economic lives is part of the rest of our lives. So, um, yeah. so they don't separate out the two. I mean, yeah. it's the church, though, isn't trying to make a proclamation of, like, economic theory. Like, they don't have right. a, a set-up, um, you know, equations about prices in an economic sure. system. But they yeah. do have – what they're providing is a framework for making moral decisions in your economic life and that what yeah. policymakers should do and how nations should act in relation to other countries um, – so that's the answer. <laughs> and it is doctrine that's binding on Catholics, but um, since the, gosh, when did they start doing this? There was a point in time when the encyclical started to be addressed to Catholics and all people of goodwill. I mean, of course, if you're not Catholic, mm -hmm. it's not binding on you, but for Catholics, right. uh, it is binding on us, but I find mm -hmm. that most Catholics have not been taught this at all, which is right. uh, unfortunate. So yeah. it's good that there are podcasts like this one so that people can learn more about what they should have already learned about. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's why there are podcasts about the catechism of the Catholic Church and, and everything else as well. I mean, not that the catechism itself doesn't talk about this, but yeah. It, and it does. It, uh, and it provides you references to the encyclicals, but where it's spelled out in detail is in yeah. the yeah, I mean, the catechism is already of, of a size where it doesn't need to incorporate the whole text of <laughs> right, the whole... Right, but you know, something uh, I wanted to point out, because it's just interesting to me, I mean, it, it tells you a lot about the church's perspective on economic issues. The place in the catechism where they bring up the economic teaching of the church, um, for those who don't know, the catechism is arranged according to the commandments. The economic issues all fall under the thou shall not steal. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. it's, um, you know, something that I think Pope Benedict, uh, although you haven't asked this question, but I'm just going <laughs> to throw it out there. Yeah. <laughs> it just was something that occurred to me, something that is embedded in Catholic social thought, but I think it was really very well discussed by Pope Benedict and Caritas and Veritate, which I warned you, I'm going to talk about a lot. Um, sure. I'll, I'll hold back, but uh, <laughs> as Great. much as I can, um, is that he mentioned something really important that has been overlooked a lot in the, 
at least in Western economic and political thought, I think. We talk so much about our rights, and, and, yeah. and well, we should, but we don't think enough, but there's not enough reflection on our responsibilities. And that's yeah. a, a large part of what Catholic social thought does. It discusses both our rights as human beings, what are our human rights, and mm. what are our responsibilities towards everyone else in our human family, and towards our societies, towards, you know, just the entire human economy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to what degree is, I mean, the, 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 the language of rights, I mean, it, it really rose to prominence in the 18th century is my understanding um, and, has, and has really sort of carried the day in terms of how we think about our politics and, and a lot of the aspects of our lives. Um, how, do, how does that contrast with what went before? I mean, you think about the 16th or 17th century and I think the people's perspective was very different. I uh, I think that in the past that um, that that there was more stress on responsibility. I think also that unfortunately it's due to some developments in economic thought that got transferred to the way in which people think about economy and society and international relations mm -hmm. that um, we started to get more of an emphasis on rights. Although of course it's the church is very. Um, uh, strong in its support of certain, eco I mean, of all economic rights, like a right to a living wage, a right to private property, that uh, you have a right to participation in economic society and in all of society. But uh, the notions of that we're in a competition of all against all, which, you know, you could trace that back to Hobbesian thought. So it's really in yeah. the 17th century that some of yeah. this started to break down. Um Sorry, there's something popping up on my screen here. I needed to get that out of the way. Right. Um, that you start to see a different um, approach where you start to become more atomistic in your thinking. Uh, in mm. econ Our economic theory started to promote more atomistic thinking. Interestingly, that started to happen a lot more um, in the 1870s, 1890s, and it's in 1891 that Rerum Novarum appears to mm -hmm. remind people, well, there is a different way in which we should be looking at the human condition and our relations mm -hmm. with each other. But um, the idea that rights are more important and that you don't have a responsibility to anyone else, that your only responsibility is to, as an individual is to maximize your utility Mm. That's part of microeconomic theory that we still teach every day, um, and that right. firms' only responsibility is to maximize their profit. Yeah. That's going to come with a lot of human costs, and at the cost of you know, because having um, looked in a lot of detail at the theory and how it developed, there initially was still a discussion about responsibilities towards society in there, but it, it slowly starts to get eroded away in yeah. the 1900s and then into the 20th century. Uh, mainstream economic theory has become very, very mechanistic in its approach to um, to these issues. It, it, it really is very atomistic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh. Mm. I'm, I'm still uh, uh, caught by the idea that uh, only the uh, uh, Sixth Commandment uh, is said to to uh, cover economics. That's... that's uh, that's fascinating to me because uh, I'm thinking that um, everything from "Thou shalt not have false gods before me" well, all the way go. over, all the way <laughs> over to uh, "Thou shalt not covet" 
thy neighbor's goods, that that whole everything is connected to everything else, and that should be too. It seems. Oh, uh, I agree, and Catholic social thought agrees. The popes agree. The Church of Doctrine agrees. It's just where the body of just the fullest body of discussion about economics in the Catechism appears is under "Thou shalt not steal." Um, but but you have to understand, and I guess I should talk about some of the basic principles of Catholic social thought here, because it's a totality. Yeah, we really haven't quite got the introduction on, there. Yeah. Uh, it's founded on the notion that you accept the idea that we are all made in the image of God, so therefore all human beings have dignity. So that's already covered under the first set of commandments. And then it's like, well, then how, therefore, should I treat other human beings? And, you know, yeah. all the rest of the commandments are about that. What is my duty to God, but also what is my duty to other human beings? My duty yeah. to other humans is connected to my duty to God, if I actually believe in this doctrine, uh, because everyone was made in the image and likeness of God. So then that has, you know, from that premise, everything else follows, that uh, there is a dignity to work and to workers, therefore, if there's a dignity to work, because we need it in order to flourish, therefore, there's a dignity to workers, therefore, how should we treat workers? Um, yeah. You know, so it follows on in that way, and... Um, Oh, and actually before that, you an understanding of what is it that the economy is for? You know, the original uh, term from which we get the word economy is the Greek oikonomos, which means household management. Household. Yeah. So it's yeah. about how do I provide for myself and my household? It's not about um, an infinite accumulation of wealth and power, you know, as you right. could predict from Catholic teaching overall, but... Um, that was, and it's, and that has its antecedents in Greek thought. You know, Aristotle talked about uh, the difference between wealth getting versus household management, and mm -hmm. it's in the 18th century. So, with my guy, Sir James Stewart, that he that you get the invention of political economy, where he mm -hmm. he put the word political in front of it to say, well, we're still doing household management, but now we can think about this in a systematic fashion, doing it on, you know, what does this mean? <laughs> All of our economic, inter what we now call economic interactions. There, no one called it political economy in English before he did in 1767. And it was, you know, in that inflection point in the 1870s and 1890s that the term for economics as a, as a subject changed. From political economy, it then became economics. They dropped the political part out of it uh, because there was a push to try to make it more like the other hard sciences. So it became much more mathematized mm -hmm. and a, a lot more mechanistic in its thinking, um, which had some benefits, but then it also had some drawbacks because you'd lose the whole social part of it. Um, so the universal destination of goods is a term that's really important in Catholic social thought because it is the... Um, the doctrine that the reason why the economy exists is for the good and flourishing of human persons. Right. And yeah. to just always keep that in mind. It's not to just have an infinite amount of GDP. We should also be thinking of, well, what are we producing? Yeah. Why are we yeah. producing it? Who gets it? Who doesn't get it? Um, yeah. And things of that nature. Yeah. Another important Catholic uh, social principle that, again, stems from all of these is what is called the preferential option for the poor. Yeah. Which, uh, in its simplest form, is that if any action or policy would make the poor worse off, then you shouldn't pursue it. Right. 
So, you know, it's not about taking anything away from anyone else. It's about, well, how is this thing going to impact the poor? Even if it benefits other people, how is it going to impact the poor? If it's going to hurt them, then you shouldn't do it. But, you know, that stems from the premise of, well, what are goods for? What is the economy for? Um, You know, all people are dignified, et cetera. Work is dignified. So it's all interconnected. That's why uh, I could talk for a really long time about this. But I'll... I'll Yeah, Yeah. And and that's the real charm of uh, uh, Catholic social teaching, that uh, uh, there's a lot of potential, I would think, to to build consensus and to shed new light on all sorts of subjects among all sorts of people, simply because we have these basic principles of dignity and common good and Mm -hmm. uh, general well-being that everybody pretty much agrees with, at least at the ground level. I mean, right. right. Um, then it gets uh, tough. There, there's <laughs> another, um, another important concept in, because you just mentioned it right now, another important concept in Catholic social thought is supporting the common good. So the, the idea of solidarity in Catholic social thought is that we all have a responsibility to uphold the common good. So not just what's good for me, but what is the common good? And then, of course, students, rightly so, ask, well, what is, what is the common good? What does that mm. mean? And um, in the catechism, it specifically says it is the totality of conditions, social and economic, that people need in order to attain fulfillment. So that's a pretty big order. So I think on that basis, some people would say, well, no, I'm out. But um, for most people, (laughs) they would say, well, yeah, I'm in support of the common good. You know, and who decides what what those conditions are? That is up to people. Uh, but that, that is something that is really emphasized in the new encyclical that came out uh, by Pope Francis on October 3rd. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I almost forgot the name. I can remember the date. Yeah, Fratelli. 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 Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, the day yeah. before St. Francis Priest Day. Yeah. Somebody wrongly well, no, called I mean, it Tutti Frutti. Yeah. Tutti. That, that was inevitable. I, I almost <laughs> did call it Tutti Frutti. Um, it, it's got a lot of great ideas in it that are just a re-emphasis, oh, really? yes. of, uh, a re-emphasis of doctrine that came before. And something that he stresses in there anew that uh, had already been addressed by all the other popes before is the importance of dialogue between all sectors of society, between all individuals in society to determine, well, what is it that you need in order to be able to attain what you want to attain in life? What is it that this person needs? What does this group need? Um, you know, just, you know, considering how splintered our polity seems to be right now, um, yeah. a lot of it is coming from what in Caritas and Veritate, uh, Pope Benedict referred to as, you know, we have so much wealth, but we have new kinds of poverty. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's a poverty mm-hmm. of the spirit. It's a poverty of our social lives that we, and now this is a phrase from uh, Pope Francis, that we've become more no, is this also from Benedict? That we're more networked, but we're more isolated than we've ever been before. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like social networking is not the same thing as establishing actual interaction with people. I mean, I'm sure we've all had the experience that we have friends on Facebook that we don't even actually know in oh, real for life. Sure. For people that, yes, they happen to be, yes, I went to high school with them. Right. Okay. But it's not someone that you would pick up the phone now and say, are you like, yeah, reach out to them. It's just different. Although I have to also say, and the church acknowledges this too, that technology can provide a lot of great opportunities for us to build that dialogue. That there are people I have met through Facebook that I would have never met in 
Yeah. Because in the physical world that, you know, our technology has has created that possibility, just like mm-hmm. the possibility of this conversation. Um, although I guess we could have done it by phone as well. <laughs> we could have. It would have been a good deal. I mean, in 1965, it would have been a great deal more difficult. <laughs> yes, definitely. But um, so that's, I did, I, I just want to say that the church isn't against technology. It's for the right ordering of our like intellects in relation to yeah. technology. Yeah. Like putting more yeah. thought into, you know, what, what are we doing? How has it changed our social interaction? Just to be cognizant of it. So yeah. Because yeah. it influences and, how we treat people. Yeah. Uh, but I was talking about something else, which now I don't remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, pulled this off topic. In terms of poverty, uh, oh, the common good. We were talking about the common good and the concept right. of solidarity, sure. that it's not something that's up to any one like, policymaker to decide this is right. what the common good is, you know, or to dictate that, because that's mm-hmm. the opposite of what the church teaches. Um, there needs to be a process of dialogue and interaction where that is determined. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. It, and it's ongoing, right? It's, it's not just something that happens once and then we're like, okay, we've got it. This is the common good. We've attained it. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And well, it, we know it, exactly it, what it is for all time. We've got it all ironed out. Yeah. Okay. We're done. Um, but, and at the same time, you have to balance that with the concept of subsidiarity where, um, you know, higher authorities, if, if people at a lower level can solve a problem on their own, they should be left to do it without, you know, a, uh, right. an intervention or anything being forced on them by a higher authority. So for policymakers, I mean, definitely this is a big area relating to economics. Um, but at, mm-hmm. at the same time, though, the church is very much in favor of, you know, like, for instance, right now in our economic crisis, um, the church definitely feels it's the duty of governments to help stabilize economies, you know, which in economic circles for some um, heterodox schools of thought, that's still a controversial issue for mainstream macroeconomics. That's not controversial. Um, More of the controversy is, well, but by how much, how much of an intervention should you have? What kind of, what set of policies should you pursue? Are are there classes of policies that would be off limits? Right, exactly. So, uh, but the church does provide guidance in that area as well. Um, you know, for policymakers on a national level, internationally, and at a local level. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there's a lot in Catholic social thought. It's it's a whole framework for making decisions, but also for observing, judging, and acting in the world, just as human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So. It's a, the, the church's best kept secret. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, People often say. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Say, it, yeah. It really is true. Um, and again, you know, Francis gets more press about <laughs> his Catholic social thought, but it's it's a continuum. It's, a conti- it's in complete continuity with everything that came before. I think that the press just didn't pay enough attention to, uh, to Catholic social thought in the 2000s, honestly, like in the yeah. early 2000s and the 2010s, because yeah. Pope Benedict um, supported many of, I mean, all of the same things. It's still all the same body of thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and you mentioned uh, Caritas and Veritatum. Mm-hmm. Um, what, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many things I'd like to ask about, too. I mean, I'm fascinated by the intellectual, well, I'm very curious about the intellectual history of um, subsidiarity. It's 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 I, I, what the uh, antecedents to that must have been. 
Uh, well, you know, that's an interesting question because no one has 100% worked that out. Luckily, I started to work on this research, uh, and, you know, and to the audience, this is a complete coincidence. Paul didn't let me know he was going to ask. Well, that, I would, that I was curious <laughs> about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's and, true. or that I had looked into it. Um, because it's, uh, it's often assumed that the whole thought of it can't grew out of um, quadragesimal anno, where it's um, mentioned, and uh, it gets mentioned a lot more after that point. But mm -hmm. um, oh, this is a bit difficult to, to go through. I, I believe it is connected to a uh, the concept of equity that is embedded in old Roman legal theory, but like for um, the economics curriculum on the continent of Europe. Um, okay. Economics and law were taught together. Mm -hmm. And um, in it, the concept of equity, of what, which doesn't mean equality, which I'm sure you no. all know that, but not everyone might. Yeah, <laughs> not everyone does. In, yeah. in law, it means, uh, and actually in old Roman law, mm -hmm. which... Um, which dominated everywhere except in Anglo-Saxon countries until, you know, right. in the 18th century, it started, you started to make a transition. Yeah. Um, so again, I know this because of my research into the Scottish Enlightenment, but then I also saw, well, there's a relation here between the concept of subsidiarity and duties and responsibilities. That's all the time we have for today. We stop the interview there and we will pick up in a couple of weeks right at this uh, critical point of discussing the concept of subsidiarity and its history. So Aida will go into greater depth about that. And we'll go on and talk about some other uh, issues in economics and Catholic social thought, including the contemporary question of the decline in real wages over the last 40 years and the, the reality that families have been forced into uh, having two incomes in order to cope with that. And then we'll discuss. We'll also discuss the concept of distributism, which is a, a contrasting point of view to economic systems that emphasize either large and even eventually monopolistic, or at least oligarch oligal. <laughs> Can I make oligopoly into an adjective? You'll have to do it for yourself, dear listener. But uh, we talk about oligopolies and monopolies, um, that type of that style of corporate capitalism, as opposed to capitalism that just means free markets. And, and also as a contrast to communism. So in both cases, distributism is a contrast that it, rather than uh, focusing economic, the ownership of the means of production, either in huge corporations or in the state, um, that we individuals are either possess or are closer to possessing, have more influence over the distribution of economic capital, basically, and capital just meaning the ability to do something, the, the material means with which to do something with which we can make a living. So we'll talk more about that next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Second Millennium. TSSM's audio producer is Morgan Burkhardt. Our theme music, Igneous Grok, was composed and performed by Vin Markhor. For my co-host, Bill Schmidt, I'm Paul Geesting. Until next time.